Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome back to another episode of the How I Quit Alcohol podcast. For first-time listeners, please be aware that not all of the conversations within this podcast are suitable for children. I'd also like to add a trigger warning that sometimes the conversations can get a little heavy. We may talk about things like sexual abuse, domestic violence, drug use and alcohol use. And if you feel that that may trigger you, please do not tune in. Also, I'd like to add, if you are a heavy daily drinker, please seek the help of a medical practitioner before quitting alcohol. This podcast comes to you from beautiful Bunjalung country. Please kick back and enjoy. Grab yourself your favorite alcohol-free bevy. And if you haven't already, do a gal a favor. Please subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. This podcast is proudly brought to you by Monday Distillery. Monday Distillery are purveyors of beautiful non-alcoholic beverages. Live on your own terms, be true to you, and drink what's good for your body and soul. Are you sick of feeling controlled by alcohol? Do you want to drink less? Do you wake up on a Sunday morning feeling really anxious and full of regret? I'm Danny Carr and welcome to my podcast, How I Quit Alcohol. Hi and welcome back to How I Quit Alcohol. Today in the Zoom room, I'm joined by Adele from New South Wales. Adele's a business owner and Scott got in contact with me after she'd made the trek up to Byron to come and watch the messages from the bottle show, which was last week in at the Byron Community Centre. And uh, of course, we got into a bit of back forth emails and Adele was kind enough to share her super huge alcohol story with me, which was really gripping. It was a gripping read, actually. I was like, oh my God, you should turn this into a book. This is fascinating. So Adele is three years sober. Welcome to the show today, Adele. How are you? I'm great. Thank you. And thanks for having me on the show. Thank you so much for coming on. Thank you for coming up to the messages from the bottle show. And thank you for sharing your story with me. So firstly, what did you think of the show? I thought it was great. Like I, when I first heard that it was um, going to be done, I thought I really want to go because there's just nothing like it. You know, I hadn't sort of heard of anything like that. And I kind of was new of your podcast and Lizzie's podcast and Victoria's podcast. So, you know, without actually knowing you ladies, I really wanted to go and see what you had to say and just be part of that because I think, yeah, I'd like to see a lot more of those sort of events happening. Yeah, so it was a great cool. way for people to share their stories and, yeah. and everybody learns something from listening to other people's stories. 
Yeah, it was a pretty special show and it's it's been fantastic like in the aftermath, like because there's so much build up to doing something like that and so full on. But then afterwards to get messages from people just saying that they loved it or it's helped to keep them inspired or they're thinking now of giving it a crack, you know, they're thinking of taking some time off and just the responses was was absolutely beautiful. So I'm actually going to be posting that hopefully today if all goes well up on YouTube. So I'll be posting links for that and you can just search how I quit alcohol or HIQA messages from the bottle show live show perhaps and it should be there on on YouTube which is super scary because it's different also what I've just watched a few of the edits and like ah um it's interesting to see yourself there on on screen like that but um yeah so if anyone wants to tune into that feel free it should be up there by the time this podcast is out so Adele tell us a bit about your your history with alcohol when did you first start drinking and you know how how was it for you well, I remember my first experience of drinking. I was about, I think I was about 15 and I wagged school for the day with a bunch of friends and we bought bottles of passion pop and got really pissed and to the point of blackout, you know, like I, people had to carry me or I don't know, I remember they, you know, got me on a bus and then they were trying to give me coffee because I was meant to be at a piano lesson after, after school and yeah, it was not a good experience, I suppose. You know, at the time it all seemed like a fun thing, but I was not aware of the blackouts, you know, what it meant or what it was or anything like that. But, you know, from a very early age, drinking was probably, you know, looking back now, you could see that it was, I was going to have a problem <laughs> right from the start, I thought. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, wow. It's interesting just going straight into that blackout situation and, that's pretty scary, really. And so how did it evolve for you? Where did it go to from um, there? Well, drinking, so from there, I mean, I think we, you know, with my friends we would occasionally drink, you know, at parties and things like that. But uh, I guess when I was about 17, started going to our local pub and, you know, there was always Thursday night happy hours where it was normal for everybody, you know, before the happy hour ended to go and get like eight drinks at a time, you know. So we'd be sitting around at a square table with, you know, 30 drinks in front of all of us in lines. I remember we all just used to laugh about, you know, how crazy it was, I suppose. And we were all, you know, that was completely normal to drink like that with the people that I grew up with. So, yeah, I could so relate to that as well. That's how kind of we were, yeah, and getting like heaps of drinks so you didn't have to keep going back and forth to, to the bar. Yeah, and when exactly. you're growing up around that, that just is the normal. That's just how you drink. That's how you you, you see Yeah, it. absolutely. Mm. So there was never a normal way to drink. Like there was never, I didn't hang out with anybody that drank in a moderate, you know, or so-called moderate way. It was always binge drinking, always. Yeah. So I didn't ever be... Like I was not the sort of person that drank every single day or didn't drink in the mornings or at any time that was not, you know, that anybody else would have thought was un- unusual, I guess. But when we did drink, we it was hard drinking for sure. How did it progress for you, like going into your 20s and 30s? Did that kind of increase or was it just that's that was the norm? Um, it was just the norm, I guess. So... Uh, up until I probably, like I got married when I was 31, I guess, and then um, we went, tra- my husband and I went travelling overseas and we would drink every night. That was a normal thing. It was just the two of us. We spent a year backpacking around. But then when I came back, we bought a business and then I got pregnant very quickly. So obviously I was not drinking then and that was all fine. And then um, afterwards, once the kids were a little bit older and with the mummy, you know, the mum's group stuff started happening and that was where it all sort of started back up again, I think, you know, the wine time in the afternoons and just the mums all getting together and having a few drinks, then that, you know, that binge drinking sort of came back again. I, that was my nature to drink in that way, even though other people were a little bit more moderate. To me, it was always, you know, you drink a, a little bit more normally with the more normal people and then there was another crew of people that once they'd all gone home we'd open a few more bottles and you'd sit around and you know you're from where other people might have gone home at 10 o'clock we'd still be there you know one o'clock two o'clock in the morning continuing 
So um, mm. that, was, that was, again, I, I managed to attract that crowd around me that drank in that particular way. So, yeah, I was a bit of a magnet for that. It's like, and then we kind of identify those people as our people. Yeah, you know, absolutely. They're the ones we can relax around. They're the ones who get us. They're the ones that aren't going to question us. They're our good times people. It, that, and that's a lie. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You realise this in, in hindsight when you when you actually look back or you realise that really, and like I said in my speech at the, at the show the other night, that we heavy drinking people have heavy drinking buddies to support our heavy drinking ways, which is super unfortunate because we just kind of feed on each other then. Yeah. yeah. There were so many points you made in the email. You know, tell tell us first about that um that drink driving episode down Anzac Parade. And how old were you when that happened? Um I was about 22, I think, around early 20s. Um I'd been out to see a band at um I think it was the Centennial Hotel, so somewhere around that in the city. And I got pulled over by a breathalyzer and I was in the car with a, with a friend and he was saying, I don't know what he was saying to me, just calm down, be calm, be calm. I thought, I don't want to be here. So I just, you know, pulled the car out of the, out of the um, you know, where I was sitting waiting for them to come up to me and took off down Anzac Parade, went through several red lights thinking, I can get away from these guys, no worries. I thought I was a pretty great driver. and But then anyway, after several sets of, of red lights because if you know that if you know Anzac Parade it's one long strip of lights and then I pulled over and they came up and said why did you why did you um why did you take off and I just said oh well I was sitting there for a little while and you know you guys didn't come and I'm in a hurry and need to go somewhere and anyway so they breathalyzed me and I was high range 0.15 and they took me back to the police station and I was I mean I wasn't I don't know I didn't think I was that drunk to be honest and I just thought it was a kind of a little bit funny and had a bit of a laugh at the back at the police station and a good chat with people and anyway they ended up letting me off at a low range charge and then of course when I went to court lost my license for three months so it did nothing to stop my drinking it was did stop me from drink driving but it didn't slow my drinking down at all no not at all (laughs) right and so clearly at this point you're not feeling like there's any problem at hand you're just sort of laughing things off this is a picture I'm getting and that it wasn't too serious you know, yeah exactly blackout yeah. because I just thought oh well I just drink like everybody else that I know so I didn't really think that I had a problem yeah no not at all not back in those days mm-hmm. yeah. okay and so where did it go to from then and you said that you started to do a lot of travel and you went to Bali and Thailand and um, the drinking was increasing how tell me tell us a bit about that well, I felt that when I, I did a lot of traveling by myself then, and I did kind of feel that if I was really drunk, no one would ever know back at home, you know, so there was a little bit of a ambition to go crazy as, as was Bali back in those days, you know, so we're talking back in the early nineties, I suppose, you know, so it was very, I was very much a Bali bogan girl back then who was heavily into the drinking and the partying and that's what you did, you know, again, completely normal. And I found my tribe again of drinking, partying people. So when I, as I said, when I went travelling with my husband, I was early 30s and a friend gave me a book called Rachel's Holiday Rachel's Holiday by Marion Keys. So I don't know if you know oh, yeah that mm-hmm. book anyway when I read that book so it was about this girl who does have an alcohol problem and she ends up in rehab and I was reading this book and I thought god that's just like me you know I thought wow you know I bet there's going to come a time where in my life I am going to actually have to stop drinking because you know that was I guess it was around about that time so late 20s early 30s that I did start to think hang on a minute this is this is not really um you know it's going if I keep going down this path I'm going to end up in rehab, I guess. That was my thought. What were the signs? What were the things that were showing up for you? Or were there moments of regret starting to creep in where you're waking up? I know you said in the email there was a lot of sexual promiscuity stuff going on and sometimes not even consensual sex happening because you were in blackout zones. Yeah. Tell us a bit about that and what, you know, waking up from nights like that. Yeah, look, there was a lot of nights like that where I felt I woke up in the morning feeling a lot of shame about stuff that I'd done but because I guess 
a lot of times I was with friends and then they'd go home and I might go out elsewhere afterwards without other people knowing. So there was a bit of secrecy in my behaviour, but not intentionally, not in a bad, I kind of thought I was still having fun. It's like, oh, I'm not ready to go home yet. And, you know, so then I, and then I would meet someone, start talking, blah, 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 then maybe end up back at their place. And then in the morning, not actually remembering where I was or who the person was or that sort of thing. But other people didn't know about that. So I didn't actually, I just tried very hard to just put it out of my head, I guess. I just kind of blanked that. It was like other people didn't know. I didn't have to explain my behaviour to other people. So, yeah, there was a bit of secrecy going on there that people don't really know. How did that feel? So when you, you've woken up the next time, and we've freaking hell, we've all been there, where we've woken up the next morning and looked over and who the fuck is that? You yeah. know, how were you feeling? Were you having moments of feeling afraid or was there the shame just too overarching? It wouldn't kind of even let you go there. Yeah, I guess I really, I really denied the experience a lot of a lot of the time. I just sort of tried very hard to put it out of my mind. Yeah, I really wasn't learning any lessons along the way there at all. That sort of behaviour continued until I met my husband. I well, guess I started going out with him and then there was a very determined way there to be a little bit more responsible. I kind of, he was a little bit more sensible than I was. And I really wanted to, you know, when I started, fell in love, you know, and of course you have that feeling of, I really want to be a better person. So that sort of, you know, I remember strongly feeling that when I was, when I started dating him. And so part of that was to try and yeah, be better, drink better. Don't be so crazy and just be a little bit more sensible. Did you feel like you weren't a good person? Yeah, I guess I did. And there was that, there was that little secret side of me. So yeah, I was, yeah. Yeah. Not honest, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. And do you know, you don't have to answer this obviously, but do you know where this, this, maybe this sense of I'm not a good person came from? Was that something that had stemmed from childhood or is that just something that developed you know, through the alcohol? Um, yeah, that's a really good question. I've tried to sort of think back to things in my childhood and wonder what it was that made me really want to escape. Like there was a real escapism and trying to avoid myself. Um, look, you know, my family were pretty normal. I don't think that I had, that, you know, there was no sort of traumatic experiences obviously you know in in an obvious way or anything like that so you know it was a good family I went to a good school everything was kind of nice and normal so it wasn't that I don't know maybe just a lack of self-confidence and alcohol made me be louder and more fun and funny and out there and brave and yeah so I guess it was just that alcohol boosted my self-esteem and made me feel that I was more fun and not so quiet and not so introverted and then I think a lot of people that quit drinking then realize that they really are introverted and hopefully then you get to an age and go that's perfectly fine (laughs) very happy to be that introvert yeah once we get that acceptance and it just comes up I I honestly would say about 95 percent of the people I work with actually realize that they're introverts and that the alcohol was covering that up and they were just trying to find a way to fit in and to feel accepted and to shush that part of them that was feeling really uncomfortable in certain situations it's just so terrifying too when you think about the situations that we've ended up I know I certainly did in my teen years as well like you know and before I met Ash like ending up in situations that you're just like what the fuck you know quite dangerous early 20s stuff like people coming home with you after nightclubs and things like that and you just don't even know who the freak they are and I remember once picking up this guy from a nightclub and went back to my place and I kind of got scared of him half sort of making out with him and whatever and I felt scared luckily my sister Natalie lived up the road in Eltham and um, so I ended up saying to him I'm just going to the loo (laughs) and I left him in my house and went up to my sister's house and knocked on the door and told her to let me in and stayed at her place tonight and hoped to god that he was gone when I got back the next day like (laughs) (laughs) but you, you know these situations that we end up in like, thank God, you know, for me, luckily that nothing terrible happened, but I know so many people that end up in situations that weren't safe and that 
ended up in in not good situations and because the alcohol had impaired their judgment and they yeah yeah, it's very scary stuff okay so you've met your husband so you've met him and you're thinking okay I can become better yes tell me how did that go for you um look it was it was fine we were having a lot of fun we were going out to a lot of nightclubs so I'd gone from more of a pub and live bands earlier era into a more of a what I considered to be a little bit more sophisticated into nice bars and nightclubs and things like that so so yes so that all changed things but we all drank the same again even though these people that were I don't know how to don't mean to say this in a bad way but you know more educated earning more money that sort of thing was still hardcore drinkers or they were the people that I chose to be drinking with anyway so that didn't really change there was no sort of difference in that way as well can I just jump in here Adele this is such a good point to make like let's not bullshit ourselves and I went through this too it's like you've got one side of you oh yeah I was a bogan blah 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 drinking you know whatever and then suddenly we become classy because <laughs> yeah, we yeah. make more money and we're drinking more expensive wine and expensive champagne and I guess that gives us permission again, what, it's really expensive, you know, and suddenly we're not a bogan anymore, which I was just calling bullshit on all of that. It's just like, <laughs> it's the same shit, different package. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. It doesn't really matter who you are. It doesn't discriminate, but uh, yeah, I think a lot of us have fallen prey to that kind of thinking as well. Yeah. So true. It's like, oh, well, this is really expensive. You better have some. Oh yes. Well, I'm not going to waste that because this is whatever it costs per bottle. That sort of thing, but yep. uh, yeah, it's yep. exactly the same. It's thing. still ethanol. Yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah. So we were going out to a lot nicer places. So things didn't really change. We were just going to nicer places, wearing better clothes. That was basically it, really. But still, the same sort of behaviour. Yeah. Yeah. Are we still blacking out at this point? Is that? Yeah, that was pretty normal for me. And things would sort of, you know, you'd get to the end of the night and then you would never remember how you got home or what, you know, but, and that, again, seemed normal amongst a lot of people. Yeah, no, I don't remember. How did we get home last night? Yeah, I don't know. So that seemed normal as well. Okay. And so at any point, are you starting to, even though it seemed normal, are you starting to wake up not not happy with how, you know, how the night had rolled out or not happy that you were not remembering or was it just so much oh, part of the... It- it probably really wasn't until my 40s, you know. I was very always quite fit and so I'd get up in the morning and run and um, so alcohol was not, even my hangovers weren't stopping me from doing those sort of things. So I would just, again, put that side of the night or whatever happened, maybe we'd have an argument or something that was, you know, you, you know was a bit silly when you think about it in the morning. Yeah, I'm really sorry that happened, but um but then you kind of move on and I'd get on with my life for the next day and everything was fine. And it wasn't until probably my very early 40s, about 41 or 42, where I just felt like suddenly my body said, no, we're not doing that anymore. And hangovers became a real physical, you know, I was I couldn't do things anymore. And then there was one one morning after a party. I, I, I'm not sure. I don't really remember. I think it was my, a birthday party of mine. And I woke up in the morning and I just couldn't stop crying. I was so hungover and I felt so sick and I just, it was just horrendous. And I got to the point where I rang up AA and I cried on the phone and the woman said to me, um, you know, you really, you know, it was, it was a lovely conversation. She was so lovely to me that that made me bore my eyes out even more when somebody is so non-judgmental and just really nice and um, so she gave me the address of the local meeting and all that sort of stuff. But, you know, and then I started, well, I had actually probably started Googling around a little bit. What is an alcoholic? Am I an alcoholic? Now, I sort of say to people now, if you're already Googling that sort of information, then probably you have a problem. Maybe, you you know, yeah. you're on your way to acknowledging that you've got a problem. So that yeah. was when, so yes, it wasn't until my early 40s that I was kind of thinking, yeah, hey, this is um this is no good and my body doesn't like this anymore and I think I'm kind of starting to be done. But, yeah, that didn't sort of really, that didn't stop me either for a while there. My husband's always been very moderate with his drinking. He was like, no, you're fine, you know, just just slow it down a little bit. You know, he didn't, 
he didn't really sort of think that I had a big problem he was just like can you just slow it down you know have a water in between you know that sort of thing um, so yeah that wasn't that I had him going you've got to stop you've got to stop this is no good your consequences are this this is what's happening I had none of that with him he he was just always you know slow it down have a water mm, so, it's, it's hard for people to understand sometimes when they are moderate and... Yeah, definitely. <clears throat> and even now when we have conversations about that sort of thing, he's yeah, still sort of says the same thing. Oh, just, you know, just be normal about it. And yeah, that's great for someone who's who is normal to say mm. that. <laughs> mm-hmm. So tell me about so you had some children amongst yes. all of this? Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so I've got three kids now. I've got twins that are now 19 and a 16-year-old now. But yeah, that didn't, you know, I didn't drink when I was pregnant, as I said, but the mummy group experience was huge, as it still is, I believe. <laughs> mm-hmm. Absolutely. Tell us about, you said in the email where you end up having a car accident when you were drink driving with the kids in the car. Can you talk? Uh, okay, so I was down at a friend of mine's house who, she only lives just down the road, so I really had no reason to be driving. It's just um, when I... Well, that night I actually hadn't had that much to drink. I'd had a few, probably three or four glasses of wine, which I didn't think was a lot, you know, Um, but I hadn't eaten very much either. You know, I was on a bit of a protein, high protein sort of thing at the time. And I think that that made it a lot worse because I do remember talking to somebody going, thinking to myself, geez, I'm pretty drunk and I'm only on my second or third glass or something. Anyway, we got... I put one of my kids, the youngest one in the car, the other two were going to just walk home because we were seriously that close. And I pulled out of the driveway. I had to do a three-point turn to get out. And I hit the car across the road from me. And now at the time when it happened, I was in a blackout, which I didn't know until I hit this car and then I was aware that I was in the driver's seat because I sort of had this feeling, what was that? What happened? What happened? And and then I looked around and here I am sitting in the driver's seat and I just couldn't understand what was happening. You know, it was like, what? How? You know, it didn't make any sense. I, I'm driving the car. Like I just couldn't fathom that either. That was really bizarre. Anyway, um, I can't really quite remember what happened. I think my husband was there. He was walking down the road at the same time. We both left my friend's place at the same time. I think he got in the car, drove us home. Then the next morning was like, you know, he said, come out and have a look at the car, see what you've done. And I'm like, oh, I'm just hung over, leave me alone. I didn't sort of really even realise how bad it was. And then I went and looked at the car. That was just you know, I couldn't believe it. I had to lie to the people whose car that I'd hit. I think I told them it it was raining. My foot slipped on the accelerator instead of the brake or something. I had to make up some big story. And the kids, yeah, that was, you know, devastatingly shameful, of course, and so lucky that nothing happened. But, you know, it wasn't, it was, yeah, turning the car around, not going at any speed, thank God. And, I really actually thought that I was not a drink driver. You know, I really thought I'd learnt my lesson, hadn't done that for a long time. I had probably done it, we're talking literally 200 metres away from my house. Yeah, that was another big wake-up call. That's, it's a huge wake-up call. And thank God that, like you said, it wasn't, you were going at speed or anything like that. And was your husband pissed off with you? And, oh, and yeah, how... he was really pissed off then. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And yeah. at this point, are you starting to think this is a problem? Yes. Yeah. Okay. And so did you try and modify the behaviour? And at any point had you tried to modify the drinking patterns? Well, I had a friend who, you know, we I would share these stories with. You, like we'd walk together a lot in the mornings. We'd talk about this sort of thing and she'd say, Adele, you just need a plan. You know, we have a drinking plan. So next time we go out for dinner, what's your plan? We would always say to each other, what's your plan tonight? Well, I'm going to have, you know, two beers, because that's a little bit slower than before we crack open the bottle of wine where it tends to nobody pays attention because you're filling each other's glasses up before anybody finishes anything. So um, beer was a little bit of a tactic because you you know exactly how much you're having, whereas wine you tend to not be able to keep track of. 
Um, yeah, there were little things in there where I try to have a water in between or every second drink and that sort of thing. But but again, not you know, maybe up to a certain point of the night and then the car would go home so that's safe, the kids are safe, everybody's safe, and then you might end up at somebody else's place cracking open another bottle of wine. So, yeah, it didn't curb the behaviour very well. It was a pretty poor attempt to, um, yeah, to try and slow it down, I guess. Yeah, I think we've all been there too where we're just like, okay, I'm going to try this, I'm going to try that, I'm going to try low alcohol beers or the the waters in between, we've all been there. And usually most of us find that it can work for a bit sometimes on some nights and then other nights it's just, yeah, just, it's just, and it's like you don't even know when that night's going to be. Like it's so, oh, I just remember feeling so scared of myself sometimes of how it's yeah. going to show up that night. Um, okay, so talk to me a bit about the the final, like the night before or the, the last big um, blackout binge episode that you had that was the catalyst to make you stop. Okay, so I was at a friend's wedding. I was not, I mean, I was drinking obviously on the night, but I was trying, you know, I was making a little bit of an effort to um, to drink very controlled I was wearing super high heel shoes so I was just trying to be a bit careful of my outfit so then it got to the end of the wedding where everybody started to really relax most people were going home the bride then came over and sat at the table we ordered another couple of bottles of wine so it was at the end of the night everything had been you know everybody was on their way out so with the bride and a few other friends we had another cup a couple of bottles of wine between us all and then um, they went home and I went to an after party. So there was quite a lot of people from the wedding there. And um, so my husband had gone home to let the babysitter go home. And I did actually turn up at this party on my own at a, you know another friend's house. Now, by this time, I was pretty, I was very pissed when I got there, but I'd arranged a lift home with somebody. So I was still thinking that I was being responsible and, uh, and then the party got pretty loose. There was, um, you know, there was drugs there. There was lots more drinking. And I ended up dancing with a guy who was um, a lot younger than me. Very cute, very attractive guy. And then we ended up downstairs together somewhere else away from the party. And I didn't really have any awareness of this event the next day so uh, I was dancing then I wasn't then I was back dancing again later then in the morning I mean I was there at the party till about four o'clock in the morning or so and then the girl whose party it was came home you know walked me home and I woke up in the morning and lay there with the hangover from hell and just thought Okay, what did I do last night? Am I in trouble? What have I done? I thought, no, 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 everything was okay. I remember dancing, you know, it was, I had no memory of anything bad happening. So there was that check-in with myself. I mean, I guess that must have been a pretty regular thing with my waking up. What happened last night? How did, what did I do? Am I going to be in trouble? Um, but I really couldn't think of anything. I thought, no, that's fine. Everything's fine. And then later that day, the bride drove past me and she said, Adele, we have to debrief and I was walking with my husband at the time she said we have to have a debrief and I thought okay well that's maybe she's going to tell me about you know the wedding night how it all went down and then she called me later and she said look you know you did this you did this you did this and I was like no I, I just had no memory of any of that stuff I had no memory but this guy had told everybody in the surf the next morning about what had happened and um we didn't actually have sex thank god but uh but there was still plenty to say and so a lot of people knew about this and a lot of people that were a little bit younger including the staff that I have in my business so people knew and it was oh pretty god. gossip because I was you know married and being a business owner here in a very small town people you know people know who we are so yeah big gossip and um, oh, were you freaking out? Did oh, you totally, to oh, totally. And I was ringing up so many people and said, 
what happened? Did you, what did you see? And a lot of my friends said, I didn't see that. You know, I saw you, you were dancing with him. You know, I, you know, we had a few, we had drinks here together. I was talking to you at this time, you know, so there was half the people that I spoke to said, no, you were fine. You were fine. Even though, you know, I've got no memory. Clearly that happened a lot in a blackout where people would say, oh, you were fine. We were talking about blah, 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 even though I had no memory of it. So, um, so it was really hard to, to, get to the bottom of what happened so I sort of sat with that for a few days and then I thought right I have to tell my husband because this is going to get back to him you know I can't avoid this oh my god you must have been so scared and still yeah it was the most awful feeling ever like a you know I mean there were plenty of times of shameful dumb things but nothing that had consequences like this you know so yeah, I had to tell him what happened. And it was like a story. It was like a telling a story of somebody else that someone else, you know, that I was telling a secondhand story. That's what it felt like. And I had to say, look, I, I don't remember that this happening, but apparently this happened and this happened. And he just quietly sat there and didn't say anything. And yeah, that was, and he said, what are you going to do about this now? You know, what are you going to do? And I said, well, I've got to I've got to quit drinking. Obviously, I can't do this. And he was like, good, okay, that was it. He didn't really say too much. He spoke to this guy and they cleared their air. I don't know what happened. He never told me any details of that conversation. Um, Yeah, but luckily he didn't, he's never brought it up again or made reference to it at all. Thank God he's been like, and especially now as time's gone past and I don't drink, there's, you know, yeah, I think he's very glad I don't drink anymore. <laughs> I bet it's a weight off for him. And it's, you know, it's one thing to say we're going to make changes, but people need to see it in our actions as well. And yeah. fuck, that is so, that story just like eh, makes me want to just, oh, can't even believe it and how scared you must have been and that horrible feeling, especially like, I can so relate to that feeling where people will say, yeah, no, no, you were fine. And there's that moment where you relax a bit and think, okay, no, no. Okay. They've got it wrong. Or, you know, this is, it was okay. Yeah, I thought fine. this is all just gossip and rumors, especially coming from people that actually weren't at the party at that time. I just thought, no, this can't be true, you know? And so, but over time, you know, it took weeks really for me to get little glimpses, like little fragments of, of things that happened. And I thought, yeah, that probably is true. You know, it must be true. I believe it is true because, um, yeah, little glimpses would come back in my mind and think, yeah. Wow. Okay, wow. So was that the last time you drank? No. Oh. (laughs) No, it was not. Um, So I slowed down, of course, and tried to revert back to plans. I mean, I probably did stop for a couple of months or something like that, but, um, but no, it wasn't a real, it wasn't what made me stop so what happened after that was I even though I kind of felt that I was forgiven I talked to a lot of people about it I actually told the staff in my business because I thought they're all going to hear they were you know some of the younger people were friends with this person so I tried to sort of take back a bit of power here and discuss it with people and say yes this happened I fucked up here I did this okay now you all know the story let's move on so that so I did that um, and then it's kind of festered. So I felt that I was forgiven. People moved on. Nobody worried about it anymore. But I couldn't let go of that feeling and that shame and how much I'd really sort of compromised everything, my marriage really. And I got to a point where I felt like I really needed to get away. I thought I need to do something to try and clear this out. And you know, a holiday was out of the question by myself. And so I ended up going to Vipassana. So I went to a 10-day silent retreat. And over that time, I, yeah, that was probably one of the biggest things that I was trying to tackle and work through in my mind at the time. Uh, What happened in Vipassana? So I had this experience where I was talking to my father. So I was very close to my dad when I was in my teens and early 20s. Now, he was a big drinker. He used to brew his own beer that was incredibly strong. So I would sit there, 
probably, this is probably the early 20s. Dad and I would often drink together in the afternoons. He'd say, try this beer and we'd try this beer and have a taste of this one. And so we'd sit there and we'd talk and we'd talk. He had a big travelling job, so we talked a lot about his overseas travel. So that was where I sort of got that inspiration to travel from. we talk a lot. And drinking was something that bonded us together. So I really enjoyed that aspect that we had that my sister didn't drink. So she didn't, they didn't share this connection that we had. And by the time I was doing this Vipassana course, my dad had passed away. And I had this little thing in the back of my head that if I quit drinking, he would not approve because it was part of that um, thing we shared together. And, you know, when you think about people's funerals where people say, oh, you know, so-and-so, yeah, they like to drink and everybody likes that and it's that real Aussie thing of, yes, they like a drink. And I thought, well, if I don't drink, you know, am I letting my dad down? There was this sense of, there was a bit of a sense of that. Mm-hmm. Anyway, through a meditation one day, I felt as though my dad was sitting opposite me holding my hands and he said to me, it was like a message saying that, um it's okay to not drink and if you did not drink you would be braver than most other people you know there's that sense it was and it was such it was the most powerful thing I've ever had happen to me really I don't ever feel that I you know have this connection to spirit or to any you know passed over ancestors or anything like that ever but this was such a strong feeling and I was crying and it felt like there was permission there to let it go and that was when I um yeah that was kind of it it wasn't completely it I've got to say but I came back from there and said right I think I'm not going to drink I think this is the time so I didn't drink for another couple of weeks it was heading up towards Christmas or maybe two months or something Christmas came around. We had a lot of family here. I was drinking with them, just a couple of glasses of wine, nothing much. And then it got to be January the 8th where I said, right, that is it. And that was my first time of stopping. So I stopped then for nearly two years. Wow, amazing. Well done. Firstly, before we go on, there's what you said that that uh, it was that bond between you and your dad and that comes up often in coaching sessions with people that if they drank with a parent and they were particularly close to that parent or sometimes even if they weren't close to that parent it was the commonality that they shared and that they feel like if they don't drink that that that's that's the one commonality they don't have anymore or particularly if that parent's passed you know it's that's that way of still holding on or identifying with the parent. And it's so powerful that that came up in your Vipassana that your dad gave you that message and you had that permission to let it go. Yeah. It's huge. I I had that with my dad because we would drink together a lot. Dad wasn't a huge drinker, but it was nice to sit and have a few brandies with him or a couple of reds and would listen to music and talk. And when we quit and particularly Ash and my dad, they would drink together a bit and they were drinking buddies, I guess. And I worried about that connection as well. Luckily my dad was still alive when we quit and he was like, God, go for it. I'm so proud of you, you know, get rid of it. He was very supportive, but I know that a lot of people struggle with that. And so I think that, you know, if the parent has passed or if that still, you feel that that is your connection, I I really do think that's something to look into and see if you can perhaps work on severing that bond, you know, within yourself and giving yourself that compassion to let that go. Because most of the time, I don't think the parent would want us stuck there in a situation that's not serving us. You know, I know we certainly wouldn't want it for our own kids. Um, Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, that was what it felt like, that there was permission there to stop. And it was, and from his perspective, it felt like, yeah, more power to you if you can do it, because it's braver than what a lot of people do. Wow, what a powerful message to receive. I nearly burst into tears when he said that because it's just so powerful and I can, oh, I could just imagine that happening and that those, that kind of conversation, incredible. So, okay, so you quit for two years and then what? Um, well, then I decided I could moderate. Oh, so I thought, I thought, well, let's try moderation um, because obviously I've got this thing under control and um, I should be able to drink on occasion with certain people, certain events, 
um, you know, that sort of thing. So, I mean, I, I did do that reasonably successfully, I suppose, um, for another two years. So I would, it wasn't that I was drinking at home. If I went out, I would have a couple of glasses of wine, that sort of thing. I felt like in that two years that I hadn't drank, I'd spent so much time um, like listening to a podcast, working on stuff, reading a lot of quit lit type of books and really immersing myself into that, into the sobriety world, really. I had a online support group that I um, emailed to and blogged or sort of blogged with every day, little members room where I Which one was that? Um, it's called Living Sober. It's a mm-hmm. New Zealand-based website. Beautiful. Mm-hmm. So they were fabulous and I still check in there and see how people are going, people that I knew, the people that I, you know, um, talk to a lot. It was very supportive, really mm-hmm. important to me to have that support because I didn't have actual people around me that um, that supported me or were not drinking at this, you know, or were quitting with me. So it was a very solo experience. So, mm-hmm. um, so yeah, the books, the podcast, that members group, they were all so helpful. And so when I was drinking again, then in, in a reasonably moderate way, I felt a bit like a fraud. I thought I'd done so much other stuff that I really don't even want to be doing this. It was more to make other people feel comfortable kind of in a, in a way I felt like yeah mm. instead of being the odd one out that was not drinking it's like yeah I'll have a glass of wine yeah whatever um, but I did also feel occasionally that I was always monitoring myself you know it's like I wasn't letting loose like I used to do where you'd go all oh, right everyone's gone home now now I can actually drink the way I want to drink so I'd been out with my in-laws and we got back to their place. So normally I would be the one instigating, oh, let's open another bottle of wine or let's have some liqueurs or finish it off with a, something at the end of the night. And I went into the kitchen and I made a cup of tea and I thought, oh, my God, this is so boring. You know, I'd just like to drink the way I want to drink. And I thought, wow, you know, holy shit, this hasn't gone away, has it? This is still a problem. So that was when I did quit again. I thought, this is crazy. I don't want to do this. I feel like a hypocrite because I was talking to people about not drinking because it was such an amazing thing. And I felt so good within myself. I liked myself. I wasn't trying to avoid myself. And I didn't like drinking. I didn't like that version of myself anymore. So then I quit again. Wow, that's so powerful. Yeah, that was um, in the end of October 2019. So, yeah, just over three years now. Wow, good on you. And I love everything you just said then. You know, fuck, this is boring. This is too hard. You know, that's still there that I want to drink the way I want to drink. But then also I didn't like that version of myself. Yeah, Hands up if you're listening now, honk your horn, do something. (laughs) If you don't like that version of yourself that drinks, honk, honk. I don't. And, and God, it's so, and once you make that decision, it's like that, it's so liberating when you just say, you know what, I'm so done with trying to monitor myself. I'm so done with not liking that version of myself. Here I go into the new version of me. It's just so much easier. You know, allow yourself that place to be calm rather than going, should I, shouldn't I, what's my plan? Can I do this? Have I got to do that? And what's happening? You know, so much thinking goes into drinking, you know, when you're trying to control it. So, um, so yeah, much easier to just go, Oh, I'm done with that. Don't have to think about that. So good. Absolutely. So much more mental space. <laughs> so much thinking goes into drinking. There's a T-shirt. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Dell, that's just so wonderful. And it's just, you're so right. It's just like so much thinking goes into it. When we can just take that out of the equation, it's like, right, now I don't have to worry about this anymore. I've made my decision. So was it hard for you? Tell us about that. You know, what did you do? How did you get through? It sounds like you were so identified with being this big drinker and it had been there for you since, since, you know, your teens, how the hell did you turn up to parties? And especially being a bit introverted, tell us about that. Um, okay. So it was incredibly hard the first time I found it really difficult. I didn't go out a lot to start with. I just didn't want to go to places and, um, yeah, wasn't very interested in going out with that. So my husband was a little bit disappointed with that. He was like, 
um, you know, can't you just go and not drink or just have one drink and just leave it? But you still, there was that moderation thing that he didn't understand how difficult it was for me. So, um, so I would just have a soda water, that sort of thing. Often I would have a plan or occasionally if I went out for dinner, I would have a look at the restaurant. What do they have in the way of, do they have mocktails? Do they have that sort of thing? Back then, when I first quit, there was not anywhere near as many non-alcoholic options as what there are at the moment. Um, so, yeah, good old soda water, lime and soda water was my go-to drink. Uh, I got into brewing my own kombucha, so that would I would take a bottle of that with me to places. And I guess if people saw you with a wine glass with something in it, they generally, nobody really said anything. So that was good. You had to sort of eliminate that. Otherwise, people start wanting to talk to you about it. And that's, you know, you really don't need that when you're quietly battling your own stuff in your head. Um, so, but yeah, look, it was really hard. I, I remember going out one night with the family and I went up to the bar. So we'd, we'd ordered our food. It was my turn to go up and get a drink. And I was standing at the bar and behind the bar was all these beautiful coloured bottles, you know, beautifully lit with mirrors behind it. It was so seductive. And I was standing there waiting to be served and I just thought, oh, my God, you know, look at that. It's so beautiful. And, and it is, yeah, that's, there's that real hook of people, you know, obviously to get people to want to drink. And I'm waiting at the bar going, I can't do this. I don't think I can do this. And so I walked off to the bathroom, went to the toilet, came out, looked at myself in the mirror, I gave it splashed water on my face and I just thought, okay, this is like seeing a boyfriend, seeing an ex-boyfriend when you're out for the first time. So I, I thought this is, you know, you're seeing them across the room, they're with their new partner and you don't do that anymore. That's not your, you know, you've got to just take a deep breath, get back out there, put on your happy face and just move on. So that was kind of big breath big splash of water on the face. It's like, you can do this. And so I went back out there, ordered my beer for my husband, my soda water, my soft drinks for the kids. Thought, oh, that was hard. That was really hard. Similar things, out with the family. I remember sitting there one night, I did actually have an alcohol-free beer. My husband had his beer, but I was still, and in the, in the restaurant, it was all, you know, people were all getting a bit drunk. It was all a fun, you know, holiday environment. And I'm sitting there stressing about this. I don't have a drink. I really want a drink. I wish I had a drink. It's not the same, blah, blah, blah. And I thought, can you imagine looking at this from the outside in? Here we are as a family out on a night for dinner, like every other person. And here am I missing it because I'm stressed out about what is in my drink, even though it looks like I'm having a beer like everybody else is. But what was going on in my head separated me from the actual experience of the family night out so it was like wow you know this is that was hard you know there was plenty of hard things but then you kind of go hey hang on a minute this is not really I'm not missing anything I'm not missing anything here I am with my family doing exactly this so yeah lots of little wake-up calls lots of little lessons along the way of of navigating your way through that Oh, thank you so much for sharing time. those because that's really important also to, so people don't think that they make the decision and then it's easy you do have times where it's tough where you've got to like kind of grit your teeth a little bit and go splash the water on your face and I love that what you said it I've never heard it like that before and that was so beautiful where you said imagine it's like seeing an ex-boyfriend or an ex-partner that you're like I don't go there anymore yeah, and, yeah. and I'm just going to hold my ground and and be strong here in this situation and Oh, that that was just incredible. Thank you for sharing that. I think that'll be really helpful for people. And there's nothing wrong with you if you have made the decision and you're finding it tough because some people feel like, oh, it's such a failure if I've made the choice and I'm finding it really hard. If You know, it's, of course, it's like you say, it's the way it's everywhere and it's something that we've done for so long. And of course, we're going to have moments where we feel, you know, like we want to go back and have a drink. It happens. and. I, you were just it sounds like you were really mindful very strong very determined and you didn't give in and that's the main thing did that get easier for you those times when you'd be you'd go out how is it for you now do you think about it now no not at all when did it get easier 
Um, well, definitely that after I had experienced, tried to experience the moderation drinking, um, I think I'm a little bit like that with a few things in life. I'll have a crack at something and then go, oh, no, that's not for me. But and then the second time around, it's like, right, I'm there. Um, so, yeah, I really don't think, I mean, I do, I do still plan ahead sometimes. I rang up a restaurant not that long ago when I was with some going out for dinner with some friends and I said to you because I looked at their drinks menu and they didn't have anything non-alcoholic and I thought I don't want to drink Diet Coke all night you know I really don't want that option and I find it annoying that people don't have more alcohol-free options I don't know why everybody every bar doesn't have it because you know well eventually they will I'm sure but um but I did say to the to the person to the manager I said you know is what what's your alcohol free options and I and he said well what do you what do you want and I said well I'm really liking the you know the Heineken zeros actually is my favorite and he says well when you get here tonight there'll be some there for you and I thought wow how easy was that so it was just a little bit of a plan ahead where you know they were available to me I had to sort of check in with the waitress and I said oh you know I spoke to the manager today and he's put them aside for me somewhere so I found that that's that's not a problem anymore that's how good is and that same thing. look when I go to parties now I probably don't want to you know I certainly don't hang around till be the last person there like I used to be and if I've had enough, I'll just go. And I've said that to my husband. Look, I'm I'm done. He's like, oh, I'll come on, stay a bit longer. I said, you can stay. You can do whatever you like. I'm going home now. I've had enough. So, yeah. Yeah. Know when you've had enough, particularly yeah. if you're introverted. How did it feel for you at first when you would go home from the party? Did you feel any sadness or did you feel like that? Did it feel lonely in those moments where you've had to take yourself away from the party, particularly since you had been the person that used to stay there till stumps? Not really, you know, a lot of the time I felt really proud of myself. It's like I got home and I thought, wow, I did that or I've jumped in the car and I've driven myself home. So that's like, wow, you know, that's so good. Such a powerful feeling of of going, yeah, I'm totally in control here. I'll come home and make myself a cup of tea, hop in the bed, read my book, go, how good is this? You know, yes. this is so good. And then you wake up in the morning and there's none of that feeling of what did I do? What happened? I feel great. And um, yeah, so no, not at all. I was really super proud of myself when I actually made it through the end of a night. Oh my God, <laughs> I'm getting home. teary. I don't know why. <laughs> You're making me really teary throughout this conversation, but because I love that too, that you feel empowered by your decision. You're coming home and feeling proud of yourself and you really switch the focus, which is really what I try and teach in, in my challenge groups and with people or even, you know, with people that listen to this podcast is switch the way you see it. You know, if you go home feeling like, oh, you know, feeling sad about it, you're going to feel sad about it, right? But if you can go home and feel like I'm so proud of myself for driving myself home and having a cup of tea and waking up in the morning and, yes, I don't have to wake up feeling terrible, it's, that's how it should be. And you realise that you're actually not missing out on all that much as well because you sort of start to notice with people by the time they've had four drinks, you know, the conversation gets pretty repetitive and, um yep. <laughs> Yeah, so there's a lot of that. When I hear the same conversation going over again, it's like, oh, my God, we just spoke about this like 40 minutes ago. Uh, I think, yeah, it's time to go now. <laughs> yeah. So obviously your friends would have identified with you being a certain way. How have your friends taken it? Uh, yeah, look, I think that there was probably a bit of disappointment there to start with. Um, and, you know, maybe there still is a little bit as well. But I don't really care anymore, you know. I'm on my path and this is what I'm doing. So I think, I, look, I think a lot of people, there would have been some people that would have been quite relieved as well because I actually noticed with people they weren't drinking as much around me and I kind of thought, oh, that's very thoughtful of them. They're, um, you know, maybe they're conscious because I'm not drinking that they're not going to drink so much. But I really don't think it was like that. I think it, it was more a bit of a, instead of me saying, let's have another bottle, let's have another bottle, that some people are kind of relieved that I'm not the one forcing everybody to continue drinking. But, yes, I'm sure that there are some people that are a bit disappointed that I'm not drinking with them. That's yeah. life. We grow yeah. up. <laughs> we move on. Yeah. So that's okay. Yeah, that's fantastic. I'm sure they've got plenty of other people that they can drink with. So 
That's it. Yeah. Are you still getting invited to places or have you noticed that you aren't getting invited as much? Oh, yeah, I don't think I'm as invited invited to as many things. Yeah, there yeah. is a bit of that for sure. But, yeah. again, that's okay. I don't mind. <laughs> it doesn't hit your stuff? You don't feel um, upset by that? No, not anymore, no. But, you know, I'm early 50s as well. So maybe it would be different if I was in my 30s for sure. So now by this stage of my life, yeah, I don't really mind. That's okay. I don't want to be there a lot of the time anyway. So on on the other hand, it's like, yeah, it's not really my thing, you know. Yeah. What's a great night in for you now? Well, gee, I have a lot of nights in. I do live in a small town. There's not many places to go even if you did want to go out. So dinner, Netflix, <laughs> early nights, a bit of self-care, having a bath, that sort of thing, and reading. What's the biggest reward in your sobriety so far? Well, I think when you start drinking at such a young age as well, I can imagine, and I'm sure, you know, your own emotional development and that sort of thing is pretty stunted, you know. So I guess when you quit drinking, you have to learn how to just handle a lot of emotions and go through things without that crutch or, you know, you're very raw and you have to learn to sort of sit with things. So I'm quite into, um, I teach yoga classes, which, you know, there's no way I could have been doing that if I was drinking. So I teach yoga. I'm into meditation. I journal a lot. I've always been a journaler though, but um, but just being able to breathe and meditate and that sort of thing I think that's just made me I don't know I feel like I've finally grown up I guess that's that's and just a lot more self-empowered and having that like you know I like myself now which I suppose that would be the greatest gift that I actually like myself and I can sit with myself and be with myself without needing to do something or use use something to distract myself yeah yeah That's so beautiful. What keeps you going in your sobriety? Well, you know, I actually don't really think about it all that often these days. So I am, you know, I do listen to your podcast. I listen to Victoria's Sober Awkward podcast. So just hearing those sort of stories keep me, just remind me, I guess, that, yeah, this is my path. This is what I'm doing. And I I don't look back very much. You know, it was only after sort of your show that I thought, yeah, that's it. My story is, you know, and I've written things before, but never sort of, you know, an email like I wrote to you. That's that's a bit of a history, you know, a bit of a timeline, I guess, sort of thing. So I think that was powerful. But, you know, I really try not to think. I think a lot more about moving forwards than I do about dwelling on that sort of stuff now. Um, so being healthy, being fit, being healthy, doing my yoga, I'm just about to move up to Queensland. So I'm thinking about what's coming up next, what I'm going to do for work when I get up there and and that sort of thing. So just generally being healthy, maintaining friendships, my family, kids, you know, just that normal, very normal stuff. Yeah, beautiful. Fantastic. And just one last question, Adele, if you could go back and give 15-year-old Adele some advice, what would you say to her? Well, um gee I think a lot of it is to remember that you if you don't feel that you fit in that that shouldn't be I guess I drank to fit in and to try and feel accepted so I guess I wish I could have had a more of a sense of myself or felt stronger within myself to not feel that I had to do that sort of thing I don't know, I look at my kids now and I don't see that so much. I think, thank goodness, they're all quite into their fitness as well, which is amazing. But And I admire that in the younger people. I think that they're, I don't, I don't know, that drinking culture in at that teenage years doesn't seem to be as hardcore as it was when I was younger. I don't know, I'm not, I'm not really sure about that, but that's what I see around me. So, yeah, I don't know. That's a hard question. But, yeah, can you just try and find some inner strength? <laughs> because it is there. You've just got to find a way to sort of tap into that somehow. I'm not really sure. But, yeah, to try mm. and have a bit more faith in yourself. Yeah, absolutely. I think that 
eventually at some point in our lives we have to develop that relationship with ourselves and learning to like ourselves like you said you like yourself now and you can be with yourself now and I guess that's what I think that's what makes you okay in sobriety when you can be okay with yourself and have a relationship with yourself and we're not needing other people to um, give us that acceptance that we have the acceptance within ourselves I think makes all the difference well it certainly has for me yeah yeah absolutely yeah. Oh, Adele, thank you so much. Thank you for reaching out to me. Thank you for coming up to the show. Thank you for your email. Thank you, of course, for coming on and sharing this big and powerful story. I'm sure it's going to touch a lot of people. And if, you know, if you've got a story, if you, you know, if you say over 12 months sober and you've got a story to share and you feel like that your story may help someone else, reach out to me. I'd I'd love to share people's stories. I think it's so important for other people when we can share our stories. Um, Actually, I have one more question for you before you go. With Christmas coming up, there's, you know, and all the Christmas parties going on, what's one tip that you'd give to someone if they're wanting to stay sober or, you know, just keep a lid on it a little bit, keep themselves tidy for any of these Christmas parties that are coming up? What's your one bit of advice? Just bring your own drinks, you know, have a plan in your head. So, and as soon as you get into a party or a situation, go and get yourself a drink. If you're a wine drinker, get your soda water in a wine glass. So you're still holding the same. So it still feels the same. So I think that that's, that's the biggest thing. Bring your own alcohol free drinks with you. Don't rely on other people or other places to have anything like that because you don't want to get stuck drinking orange juice or lemonade that was sitting there for the kids or whatever. So always bring Mm. your own drinks and just have a bit of a plan so think ahead that's about it really yep that's amazing advice thank you so much you are truly inspirational for someone that was so really in that and identified with being the big big drinker and that had been such a blackout drinker for so long you are living proof that you can change and that you life can be great on the other side and you can have a relationship with yourself and you can heal yeah, it's quite amazing when I think about it like that. It's like, wow, you know. And so there, you know, if I can do it, <laughs> other people can do it. So yeah, we can do it. Yeah, absolutely we can. You are amazing. Thank you so much, Adele. Um, yeah, thank you. I hope I see you in person sometime soon. Okay, thanks, Danny. Bye. Bye. softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger. Feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. 
That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.